Hello, all you classless fucking peasants. You're tuned into the Holy Heathen podcast. And full warning, I'm going to come out fucking swinging. So here's the skinny. This podcast is intended for adults uh, for their entertainment. So if you're a young person or, I don't know, get your fucking feelings hurt easily, just uh, go check out another fucking podcast. You're not going to hurt my feelings. So since the last time we recorded, Mr. Potato Head's a fucking tranny. The rapper Marshall Mathers, or Eminem, you know, the real fucking Slim Shady, is getting harassed by preteens and trying to they're trying to censor his uh, gangster ass. Kids are chopping their cocks off in school, and the third dose of some fucking disease that I can fucking get over 99% of the time myself is uh, about to hit the shelves. So look out, folks. To be honest with you, I just hear fucking noise. It's all just loud fucking noise. But I'm going to heed my own goddamn advice and attack the policy, not the person. So uh, this brings me to a book that I read a while back called On Democracy by Robert Dahl. And basically he just gives you a historical synopsis on what works and what doesn't work with democracies. And it's pretty good stuff, you know, like he has the Lord Acton quote, uh, power tends to corrupt, absolute power corrupts absolutely. He talks about early democracies on small small scales. and Like if you're having a county commission meeting and you have one moderator and everyone gets to vote, it, it works because it's small scale. But a large-ass democracy, like the United States, has to have certain institutions in place in order to keep it governing. And he rightfully admits that we take a lot of this shit for granted as just common sense, but back in the day, people were just finger-fucking their way around things, and it was just a whole lot of trial and error, but six things he says that a large democracy need are elected representatives, free and fair and frequent elections, freedom of expression, alternative information, associational autonomy, and inclusive citizenship. So just to cherry-pick some examples here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a little paragraph on why we need the freedom and available and alternative independent sources of information. Like freedom of expression, the availability of alternative and relatively independent sources of information is required by several of the basic democratic criteria. Consider the need for enlightened understanding. How can citizens acquire the information they need in order to understand the issues of the government controls all of the important sources of information? Or, for that matter, If any single group enjoys a monopoly in providing information, citizens must have access, then, to alternative sources of information that are not under the control of the government or dominated by any other group or point of view. And I hate to say it, but the other day I was wandering around on the CDC's website and those motherfuckers were saying that if you've had your second dose of vaccines, then you could go over to your family member's house and... Uh, the difference of three feet and six feet doesn't really matter anymore. And I couldn't help but wonder, who the fuck gives you the authority to tell me what I can and cannot do? You're the fucking center for disease and control. Like, yeah, you might have some suggestions, or you might say, hey, the latest research shows this. But you don't have the fucking authority to tell me when and when I can't see my goddamn family. Vernacular is goddamn important. But that's a sidebar, because this podcast isn't even about, really, the current state of affairs. It's more about Vikings. As of recent, I've been associated with some of these organizations, and 
little did I know, there's been a new uprising in Norse mythology and paganism. So I started with Aubrey Marcus's podcast, and he had a guy named Kadrick Olson on there. And I was delighted, uh, informed, and entertained. I thought it was a great fucking podcast. So then I scurried on over to Audible, and I downloaded Neil Gaiman's Norse, Norse mythology book. And again, I was delighted, informed, and entertained. I thought it was a great fucking book. But then, I bought this little jewel called The Heathen Handbook off of Amazon. And right in the first few pages, the author said that the Indo-Europeans were six-foot-tall, heavy-framed, and dolicocephalic, which which is a word I had to look up. It means you have a, a long head or an elongated skull. So I didn't really know what to make of that because to me it, at face value, seems that they're trying to assert superiority over other inferior races. Now there's another book I'm reading called The Awakened Ape, a biohacker's guide to evolutionary fitness, natural ecstasy, and stress-free living. And it uses a lot of the same methodology, but it has a much different fucking outcome. You see, The Awakened Ape starts out with Darwin's methodology for evolution and why we're conscious beings. So... Emotions, Darwin argued, are functional. They evolve to serve a purpose, to drive us to perform an action or reward us for a behavior that advances our evolutionary fitness. And one of the examples they use is how if you fasted all winter long, when spring finally comes and you get a fresh fucking peach, it's like ecstasy in your mouth to get all that nutrition and fucking sweet juice. But the trouble is, and this is this is my opinion, the trouble is today you go and get a fucking eight ball of cocaine and lock yourself in your room for the weekend and it's the same evolutionary fucking feelings but now it's all fucking short wired because you're hopped up on drugs or ho-hos and ding-dongs from the fucking gas station our signals are all out of whack because we evolved in a much different environment than what we currently live in so there's this natural instinct or inclination to try to go back and find our lost way. And this is not a new concept or idea. Now going back to the heathen handbook, after talking about elongated skulls and superior genetics, it starts talking about the cattle warfare that drove to basically the religion of the Norsemen. So in these little tribes or clans, you would have livestock. So you create warriors to protect your livestock, or if they were fucking bored, they would go take someone else's livestock so your people could survive the winter. And it's just basic survival instincts. So these claims remind me of two things. One, Dahl's book on democracy and how democracies work really well, small scale. You get your little clan together, you all take a vote, and then the war chieftain or the, you know, the one with the big fucking axe has the final say. And he's like, you know, he's your chieftain, right? But whenever it comes to large-scale warfare... That, that model doesn't work anymore. The second thing it reminds me of is uh, the White Stag book, right? Talking about Attila the Hun's fucking grandfather. And then another book about uh, Genghis Khan that I read where you know, out there on the steppes of Siberia and Russia, they basically hacked and killed each other all the fucking time and it, it bred a crazy motherfucker like old Genghis. 
the point I'm trying to make is this isn't a new idea or concept. It doesn't matter if you're talking about Genghis perfecting the flank maneuver where he went 2,000 miles around a desert to fucking overtake his enemy, or if you're talking about Ragnar Lothbrook and his advanced longboat that could travel upriver as well as on the open water. Despite their great advancements after the war chieftains die, their offspring generally vie for power so hard that the whole culture sort of just implodes on itself or at least makes itself a weaker state. But where my opinions differ from this heathen handbook is they, they go from the Indo-Europeans to the Aryans and their war chariots up to the Celts, Gauls, and Germans. It then furthers by saying, within a generation, Germanic tribal confederations known as the Franks, Vandals, Alemanni, and Subai would cross the Rhine and overrun the weakened empire in the west. Angles and Saxons moved into the Britain at roughly the same time. The Germans slowly dismembered the empire over the next 200 years until only the eastern provinces centered on Constantinople remained. The German victory was not complete. In the process of overrunning the empire, the Germans were heavily influenced by the Roman culture. They abandoned many of the customs of their ancestors and adapted no, and adopted Roman ways, including the Roman religion. And I'm sorry for reading to you in advance, but there's just a couple more crazy-ass fucking lunatic ideas that I'd like to address in this book. So, uh, the power of the church pervaded all of society, and this power sought to undermine Nordic values at every point. Our ancestors were still the strongest warriors, most talented inventors, and the noblest people on earth. But when saddled with the creed of the desert god, we lost much of what made us strong. Howbeit, you are allowed to practice whatever religion you would like uh, within the United States. And if that is your true belief, then that, that is fine. But the problem that I have with statements such as the, these unfounded statements are, uh, what about Pythagoras, Socrates, Aristotle? Uh, what about Marcus Aurelius? What about all of these people that further advance the way we think None of them were uh, of Nordic values, right? Uh, what, ab what about arithmetic? I mean, we're, we're idealizing people that didn't even really write down their own history. They, they had uh, poems and songs and, and at best some runes, but uh, they didn't in invent the catapult. They didn't invent the crossbow. They didn't invent castles. That doesn't downplay the achievements that they did make. But I think it is a very narrow perspective to say, this is my tribe, this is my camp, it's superior. And there's this other unfounded romantic idea that somehow life on the steppe, herd, herding of fucking goats all day, was glamorous work that we should covet and get back to. I understand the appeal, because I too don't agree with modern agriculture. I don't agree with... Animal, animal farms where they chop off the beaks of birds and they get so fat that the weight of their bodies break their fucking legs. But I'm not farming fucking shit, motherfucker. And that's precisely why I brought up the Awakened Ape book. Because you can work out outside and fucking eat raw meat and uh, fucking do polar plunges and meditate and, and stargaze and there's plenty of worthy activities that aren't racist as fuck. 
And uh, speaking of racist, I, I just happen to have a copy of Mein Kampf here. And I just want, and the reason why I bring this up is I just want you to note the, the stark similarities between the words of Sir Adolf Hitler and this, this heathen handbook. So first off, I'm going to read you a little piece of the back cover here. That such a man could go so far toward realizing his ambitions and, above all, could find millions of willing tools and helpers. That is the phenomenon the world will ponder for centuries to come. And the heathen's take on it is, is there's not much to fucking ponder, right? Germany was weak as fuck at the end of World War One, and uh, this guy named Adolf Hitler was basically a rabble-rouser, and he tried several coups that failed, but he was such a good orator that during his trial, he, he questioned the jury. You know, why, what, he questioned them why they weren't good Germans uh, trying to further the German state. So they gave him a, a cush sentence, and while he was in jail, he wrote this manifesto, and uh, it stands for My Struggle. Right, because to him, he's the smartest guy in the room, and he doesn't understand why everyone else doesn't think like he does. See, we we all, with our twenty twenty hindsight, just see Auschwitz. And, you know, this young Adolf Hitler was in prison in nineteen twenty two. Both of his parents had died, and he saw the fragile state of Germany. And he was a um, devout study of history, so he knew what. Uh, the Nordic tribes and the and the Germanic tribes, and he knew the power that they held before. Point being, he writes this book while in prison in 1925. The stock market crashes in 1929, and all of a sudden, a loaf of bread's a thousand fucking dollars in Germany, and he looks like a savant. So, in a fragile state, even more fragile than the one he found himself as a child, he's all of a sudden the strongman persona. That could possibly save Germany, and he grows a little traction. So let me just read you a little section here, because because his first big endeavor was to reclaim Austria back into Germany. So let me just read you a couple of paragraphs, and you tell me if it doesn't sound appealing. The elemental cry of the German-Austrian people for union with the German mother country that arose in the days when the Habsburg state was collapsing was a result of a longing that slumbered in the heart of the entire people, a longing to return to the never-forgotten ancestral home. But this would be inexplicable if the historical education of the individual German-Austrian had not given rise to so general a longing. In it lies a well which never grows dry, which especially in times of forgetfulness transcends all momentary prosperity and by constant reminders of the past whispers softly of a new future. To learn history means to seek and find the forces which are the causes leading to those effects which is subsequently perceived as historical events. I mean, good God damn, that sounds almost as good as make America great again, you know what I'm saying? So now I want to tell you... Uh, I'll read you another little piece from this chapter, Removal of the Petty Bourgeois Blinders, where he's talking about his, his hard childhood. At the time, I read enormously and thoroughly, 
All the free time my work left me was employed in my studies. In this way, I forged in a few years' time the foundations of knowledge from which I draw nourishment today. And again, this, this book is about his struggle, but he furthers by saying, By forcing me to return to this world of poverty and insecurity from which my father had risen in the course of his life, it removed the blinders of the narrow, petty, bourgeois upbringing from my eyes. Only now did I learn to know humanity, learning to distinguish between empty appearances or brutal externals and the inner being. I'm sorry to read my comp to you. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the takeaway is he, he's articulate, uh, he's, he's well-read, and he, he's had this big struggle where, where it pains him so much to see Germany, his motherland, in such destitute. I promise I won't read to you anymore, but, but I do have a few strange claims to make for myself. So, why would someone trade in their swastika for Thor's hammer? Well, it's the same ideology. and They're, they're both tracing the roots back to the Aryans. Uh, they're both saying that the modern capitalism and, and desert god and society of today is the downfall of their culture. And they're both saying that in order to restore the, the former glory, you need to revert back to the belief system of our ancestors. But here's some more food for thought. Roughly 2.12 million people were incarcerated in the United States in 2020. In prison, the rules are different than a normal society, right? I'm not giving white supremacy or uh, any racial group a pass. What I'm saying is out of necessity to survive so you don't get shanked in the fucking chow hall, you de facto segregate with people that look like you that you might be able to make an alliance with. Uh, see, I'm just, I'm just placing myself in someone else's shoes. If the threat of my life ending abruptly was present every single day, I would do some pretty horrific things in order to survive and get out of it. So I think that would be one place where these ideals might be coming from. And I said that slowly because I wanted to make sure I chose the right words for what I was about to say. In times of survival, people do some crazy shit. Second, the Viking lifestyle is pretty fucking sexy, right? Raping and fucking pillaging. I mean, who doesn't like to fight and fuck? Uh, I talk about this shit all the time on my show. And we've been at war for an entire person's lifetime, you know, the last 21 fucking years. And there's a lot of fucking door kickers out there that probably wouldn't mind to go to fucking Valhalla, you know? They feel like they fucking earned it. So this might be another place that these ideals are coming from. And the last point I'd like to make goes back to the book The Awakened Ape. There seems to be a movement currently to go back to something of substance, right? doesn't matter if you're talking about Paleolithic eating foods of our ancestors or getting out and doing yoga or doing crazy-ass fucking kettlebell workouts. The fast food culture is fucking killing us. I'm not saying I'm growing a goddamn beard anytime soon. I'm sure as fuck not going to be out there fucking herding goats. But I am saying 
there does seem to be a shift in people's perspectives. And what that is currently, I can't really place a finger on it. But I do know I am not going to be fucking associated with any white supremacy group or any racial fucking group. But one thing I do fucking support is knowledge and the continual pursuit of it. Just as Odin gave his fucking eye for it. So with that, praise be to thee, a goddamn heathen.